Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the June 2015 podcast. Now, last month, of course, I had um, a slightly different podcast. I I do an occasional podcast special. And the one last month was uh, one in which I discussed some of the aspects that you need to think about if you're going to turn pro. Um, So this is the first time that I've had a general podcast since I went to America right at the end of April. And so I thought it would be uh, interesting just to spend a few minutes just ruminating on on the mini tour that I did then. It was uh, I was away for about two and a half weeks and it was, I have to say, a great success. I really enjoyed myself. I did um, three club lectures in uh, Boston, New York and Philadelphia. Uh, I did a cabaret show uh, in a place called Dayton, which is in Ohio. I went to Columbus and recorded for Penguin Magic, one of their um, online live lectures, which was an absolute blast. I really enjoyed myself with that. Uh, From there, I went to Batavia in north of New York State to attend the four-day 4Fs Close-Up Magic Convention. And I finished off by being a dealer at another one-day convention called Morney. So it was, um, as I say, two and a half weeks away with all the travelling involved. And um, I spent most of the time um, with a hire car driving around. And uh, I I noticed that I'd actually driven 1,800 miles. And most of that was done in the first week, which uh, seems a bit extraordinary. Um, So it was quite a lot of driving. But although I've only ever driven in the United States once before, I have to say I did find it very straightforward. Thanks to my trusty sat-nav, without which I probably would have uh, found things a lot more stressy. But with the sat-nav, I think I only went slightly wrong once over all those miles. So so that was brilliant. And, uh, and it was a great way to get around. Not cheap, especially with all the tolls on their motorways. Wow, that adds quite a bit to the price. It makes France look a bit uh, economical, quite frankly. But um, nevertheless, it was uh, the perfect way for me to be able to get around and to get to all the place I needed to get to. The um, I suppose the highlight in many ways for me, although I enjoyed all of it, was the, the Penguin Lecture. Um, I, I kind of wondered what that would be like because I, I, I'd seen a few of them, so I knew kind of what to expect and i thought to myself gosh you know most of these lectures seem to go on for three three and a half hours um is that how it's going to be for me well extraordinarily yes it was mine lasted three and a half hours as well the last half an hour is a uh, sort of an interview which dan harland did with me and that's that's quite nice he gives an opportunity to chat uh, more informally but the um, the rest of it, the other three hours of it, was was all me do, presenting the material, and I was I was really pleased because I had a nice nice little um, audience there. About twenty people there turn up to watch. I think it takes about twenty five something like that. It's only a, a sort of small studio, um, but very well equipped, excellent lighting and sound and and, and cameras, and. Uh, and the the audience who turned up were really enthusiastic. It was absolutely brilliant. And, and I really fed off that. So by the time I got to the end of the three and a half hours, I thought I might be feeling completely wiped out. When in fact I wasn't. Um, I, I still felt um, absolutely fine, which was great because they, all, they traditionally always go out for pizza afterwards. So that was a, a nice way to finish off the evening. So the trip all round was very successful and and it was organised for me by um, an American uh, magician called Scott Miller, who I've been friendly with now uh, for a number of years, having met him first at 4Fs. And um, he very kindly organised it all for me and made sure I got to everywhere that I needed to get to. 
and um and he may even in fact i think he almost definitely is going to arrange something similar for me next year so i, I shall uh, look forward to that as well so that was my uh, little american trip at the end of april now, while I um, did most of my two-week American tour on my own, um, I did have for company during the 4S Magic Convention my good friend Chris Payne, who's been coming to 4S for the last few years. And, um, and it's great because we get lots of opportunity, apart from attending the convention together, which is great, but we also get an opportunity to chat loads. And um, there was one conversation we had that I remembered where we were talking about the the way that the dealers are at magic conventions. And I was saying, well, it seems to me that um, over the last few years, it's gradually got more and more difficult to sell magic at general conventions because um, the the amount of the volume of sales doesn't seem to be as strong as it used to be. And we were sort of considering why that might be. And um, there are, of course, a number of different reasons. But I think one of the main reasons is that um, whereas at one time, um, I think magicians tended to save up for major conventions or major events that they were going to go to. They would save up their sort of magic spend money. And, and then they would go to the convention in the UK, something like, obviously, Blackpool or maybe in the old days, British Ring. And they would basically blow the money in the dealer's hall. They would just go and spend it all and just have a great time with it. And whereas in the old days that was a real mo those big conventions were a real moment for new magic to be released, now it's not the same. Magic is basically coming out just about all the time. And because it's easier for um, magic sellers and manufacturers to reach their customers, particularly through, let's say, emails or, or, or uh, email uh, newsletters, it means that there is a constant um, dripping through of new products and therefore encouraging people to buy. And I think probably people are buying almost all the time. Well, not all the time, but they're, they're buying more regularly than perhaps they would have done at one time. Um, some of the um, the trailers, as we know, that, that come with, with the latest magic tricks are, are, are make you really want to buy the trick. They're, they're really well produced and, and they're very enticing. And so I think the, uh, the temptation to just, the minute you see it, to buy it, rather than waiting, going to a convention, seeing it demmed live, and then perhaps purchasing it, people are buying it as they go along. And quite frankly, you can't buy stuff twice, can you? You know, you, you, you basically, you're buying it once. Um, and so if you've already spent your money, then when you go to the convention, you're probably not going to have either as much to spend or in the case of someone like myself, where um, I don't have a huge number of new tricks coming out all the time. So therefore, if people have already bought what they're interested in online when it first came out, then they've no reason to buy it again when if they see me at a convention. So um, I think the Internet has got uh, a lot to answer for in that sense. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but I think it means that as dealers, we have to reflect um, more carefully on just whether it is worth our while to attend. And we've had a, a number of instances in recent years as well where the amount of time allocated to the dealers is not particularly generous. Um, you've only got to have you know, a program that's slightly too full with not enough reasonable gaps um, for the dealers to be kind of squeezed out. 
and uh, and it's a lot of effort to go to conventions a lot of expenses involved and um, and I for one um, have found it increasingly um, non-productive and something that is really not worth my time doing so we will see what the future of um, of magic being sold at conventions is. I suspect that the dealer halls are going to get smaller, as the number of dealers who who go are going to is going to reduce, uh, as dealers come to realise that actually they can make the same amount of money, or indeed possibly even more, by not attending events, because all the Dems are online or on their websites already. So why would they need to attend when the people don't buy that much anyway, and they can see it online? So then, as we head into June, it's going to be, for the next three or four months, summer. Well, we kind of hope it's going to be summer, I guess. And um, for performers who, who work outside in particular, it's a time when um, potential heat can cause a few hazards. Um, I mean, I work strolling magic, so there are, I do a lot of weddings in the summer. And at many of those events, I find myself working, particularly if it, I'm doing the, um, the pre-wedding breakfast drinks reception, I'm working outside. And sometimes it can be extremely hot. And I'm one of these people who um, I, I don't tan at all. I have, I have very fair skin. I have freckles. I, I, I burn. I go straight from nothing to burnt. So I have to be a bit careful uh, when I'm working outside. And in fact, I've got a, a, a proprietary made um, baseball hat that's got my performing logo on it that I can wear. Um, and I, but I do tend to try, if I can, to be um, um, work in shade under trees, under gazebos, whatever it might be, just so I'm not in the full... Um, sort of force of the sun and of course when it's very very bright um, it can be difficult literally to to see properly it's it's almost too bright you want to wear sunglasses and of course it's fine for all of the guests they can wear sunglasses but I I've never really felt r that it's right for me as a performer to wear sunglasses it, it kind of puts a barrier between me and my audience I feel and I, and I don't like that so I don't tend to wear them which is, again, where the baseball cap is very useful because it creates a shade with the, the front of the cap over my eyes. But it's not just your, your personal um, sort of uh, um, heat that uh, it can be affected, is it? It's, it's also your props. Um, when you have a pack of cards in your pocket, and this doesn't apply just in the summertime, this can be just when you're working in the winter, and you've got a pack of cards in your inside top pocket of a jacket, say, for instance, and you're working in a hot venue. You're in a restaurant or you're at a dinner function and, and, and all the main courses have come out. So the temperature in the room has risen and you take your cards out of your pocket and you can feel they're actually warm or coins have got a warm feel to them. Well, with coins, it doesn't matter whether they're warm, but for cards, it can that they can if it in extreme heat they can actually bend slightly they start to get slightly sticky your hands if you're perspiring a lot your hands get sticky you transfer that stickiness to the cards and you go to fan them and they don't fan properly um so all these little things which um we have to be sort of i think aware of when we're performing uh, outside in the heat um it's one of those things that I, it's kind of it never occurs to me until we get to the summer again. And I think, oh, oh, yeah, I've got to be careful about that um, and try to make sure that uh, I have a spare pack of cards so that if the one I'm using actually really gets beyond the point of being any use, I can quickly swap it for a fresh one. 
But it's little things like that that can help to smooth over otherwise a potentially difficult time when it's very hot in the summer. Now, at this point, I want to chat to you about something that I'm really rather excited about. It's a, a new project for me, which I've been working on now for getting on for a year. And it's all going to be kicking off in September. And I'm making the first announcements about it um, from this month onwards. Um, I've done a lot of lecturing over the years. Um, in fact, I did my first lecture in 1978. And I've been lecturing at magic clubs and magic conventions all over the world ever since. Uh, and it's one of my favourite things to do. And I've always felt that um, a live lecture is is so important for the people who go because it's a chance to see something up, pretty usually up fairly close, unless it's a big convention and you're miles away from the stage or something. But generally speaking, it's a chance to see something up reasonably close. Uh, and if it's in your club room, maybe to even ask questions and, and to interact with the lecturer a little bit. Um, but the trouble is, uh, I always feel slightly frustrated because I will travel to, to somewhere in the country. I'll see a group of people for a couple of hours of an evening in, in their club and, and then I'll come away again. And it may sometimes not be um, for, for several years before I go back again and have an opportunity to see them again. So I thought to myself, well, wouldn't it be good if I could create um, a forum in which I could do a lot more sort of training and magic teaching? And so I've decided to to uh, set up something called the Mark Leverage Magic Academy. And this is basically going to be uh, taking place um, on the second Saturday of each month, 10 months of the year. So there'll be there'll be nothing in August and nothing in December. But starting in September, all the other months of the year, there will be a four hour special session which will take place in a purpose built magic training room, which we have in the grounds of um, the home of Mark Leverage Magic here in Exeter. And the idea is I'm going to be um, presenting all sorts of different workshops and lectures and I'm going to invite small numbers of attendees to come along and to experience these various sessions. Some will be workshops where literally I will hand the props to the people who come and we'll go through the moves or the routines or whatever is the topic happens to be. And, and I will help them on a one-to-one -one basis almost um, to, to get the moves down so that by the time they leave, they, they go away with a proper set of skills which they may not have had completely sorted out when they arrived so there'll be hands-on workshop sessions and there'll also be lecture sessions um, where I'll take a topic and present a lecture but of course because it will be um, small numbers of people um, invited to attend then it will be um, much more interactive so whereas with a club lecture, if you've got a question, if, it, if there are 30 or 40 people in the room, it's almost kind of embarrassing to ask a question. You, you don't want to ask something that everybody else will just laugh at or think, well, don't you know that? Whereas in a small environment that's, that's more intimate, then you don't want to say, actually, I don't really understand that. Or could you do that bit again? So um, I, I'm, I'm really keen to, to have a very wide variety of topics and, uh, and, and of sessions. And um, so that hopefully over the course of a 12 month period, there may be two or three things that can appeal to most people. The, the standard 
um, of the various sessions will vary. Everything there'll be things that are aimed at beginners, some things aimed at intermediate standards, some more advanced. Sometimes there'll be a combination, sort of intermediate to advanced, that sort of thing. So the idea is that um, people can hopefully pick things that they feel is re- it would be relevant for them. So if it's a, something to do with skills or moves, and they and they feel that they want to go to the beginners class to get right back to basics, then they ha- all they need to do is to choose a beginner version. Whereas if they feel they are already well versed, but they want to to learn some extra things, then they they would look for an advanced, or an intermediate, advanced type of session and and attend that instead. So the sessions will be from 11.30 till 3.30, so hopefully enough time for people to get to Exeter. Exeter, obviously being in the West Country, it's only uh, two hours by train from London, uh, a couple of hours by train from Birmingham, um, and uh, the, um, the the training room itself is about a 10-minute um, taxi ride from the station so if you were coming by train you could easily get there in time for an 11.30 start and it finishes at 3.30 to give you the opportunity obviously to, to get back home again afterwards although Exeter being in uh, Devon, one of the most beautiful counties in the country of course it may well be, especially in the nicer months of the year when the weather's okay uh, an opportunity to um, to stay in Exeter or in the Exeter area and go to Dartmoor, go to the beach and do other things um, uh, on the Sunday. Now, the the first sessions, the first three sessions for September, October, and November. Full details are on my website. Go to the MLM Academy page, and you'll find all the details there with the pricing and the details of what the actual sessions are. Um, the the numbers of people uh, allowed to attend will be single figures, so it'll be nine or less. So if you and it's it'll be um, sold on a first come first serve basis. So if you're interested in coming to to any of the sessions, keep your eye on it and uh, make sure that you you know what the sessions are and then get your uh, your application in as as soon as you can. And that's the Mark Levish Magic Academy. Do you think there are any topics which should not be used as subject matter for comedy? Uh, I mean this is a, a question that I've I've thought about a lot. And I've often had discussions with other magicians about this because um, comedy is a, is a very personal things in, thing in many ways, not only in the terms of what comedy we use in our act, so the comedy that, that we find funny, but also the comedy that your audiences find funny. And it can vary hugely, can't it, from one audience group to another as to what they find amusing. Um, and for me, there has always been uh, a kind of a line. And that line, um, this is when I'm listening to comedy. There is a line. And if a comedian steps the wrong side of that line in terms of the things that he's making jokes about, then it very, very quickly switches me off. Uh, and I don't like it. Um but I've had discussions with other magicians and some people say, and, and comedians for that matter, and sometimes they say, no, 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 um, th- if you start getting too PC about this, then where do you draw the line? Because what to one person is hugely offensive to somebody else is just not offensive at all. It's just really funny. So, and I understand that. I mean, political correctness is, it can cause the, would cause, if taken to its extremes, cause the death of all comedy just about, because there's, no matter what joke you told, there's somebody who would say, oh, I take offence at that. 
but even given that i think there are to, certainly to my way of thinking anyway there are certain things certain subject matters that that i think should be out of bounds um or at least they if they're not out of bounds that they're the sort of things that should not be said in certain circumstances uh, an example of this in fact happened at four f's back in april when a very well-known performer um made a joke uh in one of the uh, the main gala close-up gala shows um about the german wings plane that the pilot had flown into a mountain and killed all the people on board and he made a gag about that and you i mean it i found that that was over my line that was it was it was not that long after it had happened and you and you could tell that the atmosphere in the room went ooh, and somebody actually shouted out too soon so is it a question of timing then is it one of these things where you say well actually um that joke would have been all right if it had been two years after the event i still don't think it would be all right but some people would say well it's you know jokes about the twin towers really you know it's just not funny um and i think one of the problems that i have with it also is that the the jokes that people make like that are often not funny anyway even if you could take the reality of the situation that they're making a joke about out of it um if it's some sort of tragic event as in the case of the german wings plane um if you if the joke itself isn't actually funny all the person is doing is trying to shock well um, to me shock is not comedy um it's something completely different and and i can remember going and um, watching frankie boyle doing his live show and i i'd quite enjoyed him on, on tv when i'd seen him in short bursts but for him there there appears to be no topic that he won't cover with his comedy and i thought after i came out of it okay i'm done with him now i don't think you know he just goes for shock a lot of the time and probably 40% of the time he's not even funny it's just has shock value so um and interestingly following there were, there were a few comments that people had made at 4Fs and it caused the um the people who the committee that organizes the board that uh, the people on the board who organized 4Fs did actually send out an email to to everybody who who comes to 4Fs just to say we need to be a bit careful here because there there are certain comments that are being made that are just not for the international audience that that 4Fs now attracts are not appropriate and people will not be invited back if they insist on stepping over that line but it's a tricky one isn't it where is the line and how do you draw it mm answers on a postcard please back in february i brought out a couple of audio books i've never done this before but uh, i know that from my own personal point of view i rather like listening to when i'm driving along listening to um either um story books or more commonly for me um business cd's uh, and these are often audio books as well and i thought it might be interesting to take my professional worker series titles of which there are two at the moment going walkabout and trade show magic and um and and read them and make audio book 
CDs with them. So I, I've done that. But um, obviously, I'm aware that uh, a lot of people don't listen to CDs anymore, or maybe they don't have a CD player in their car and would prefer um, a sort of a, an MP3 version. So I've now added to the um, the order pages on my website downloadable versions. So if you want to um, get um, a quick download of either of those two titles you can uh, you can now do that um, the professional worker series so far has got as i say two titles i am currently working on the third title and um, i'm hoping to be able to bring that out probably on the first of august so um, if you've enjoyed those these informational books ebooks so far then look out for the new one that will be coming out soon you know, it's a funny thing. There, there, there are certain aspects of being a performer, certain little um, problems that I've that I've never really solved to my own satisfaction, and one of those is eating. Now, um, because of the nature of the way that we that we work, we are often, particularly um, close-up magicians, we're often working at meal times. Or if we're not working at meal times, we are travelling to a booking over a meal time. And if it's just, you know, a slightly displaced, so you're leaving home at quarter to five, well, OK, you, you, you can eat something before you go. But um, sometimes, of course, and this happens to children's entertainers too, if they're really busy and, and they can be out from, say, middle of the morning through to early evening and doing two or three shows, um, you need to eat something, otherwise you basically fall over. But the trouble is, what do you eat? I mean, you take sandwiches, you kind of eat, eat them in the car, I guess, um, and then you, you, you squirt stuff all down your front. So then you think, well, OK, so I, I better not wear my performance jacket, or if I'm going to wear my performance shirt, I better put something I don't care, a jumper or something that I'm not going to be wearing when I perform, over the top. Uh, but what about if I drop it on my trousers? Well... Maybe I should um, change when I get to the venue. But that's not always possible to do that, is it? So you don't really want to do that. So you run the risk of sort of chucking stuff all over your lap. And if you're eating, as I'm sure, like like me, many of you will do when you're driving along because you haven't got time to just stop and put, put a nice bit of tissue over your lap or something to stop yourself throwing food. You're, you're eating while you're driving because if you if you don't do that, you won't get to eat anything at all. Um, then you, you always run this risk of making a mess. And, and then, of course, you've got things, well, what, what do I eat? Because if I put something smelly into a sandwich, then my breath is going to stink. And when you do close-up, you're very, very close to people. You don't want to breathe garlic over somebody or fish uh, or anything like that. If you can't clean your teeth, OK, what if you get, you've got some lettuce stuck in your teeth and you don't notice? Again, when you're very, very close to your audience... They get to see everything. And this is, is something that I've, I've never totally, as I say, never totally solved. You can take a toothbrush and toothpaste, but is it always possible to clean your teeth before you perform? Probably not. You can eat mints. Yep, yeah, I've done that too. Make sure you, you, know, you have a quick look in a mirror to see whether you've got anything obvious stuck on the front of your face. Um, but it's, it's still not very satisfactory, is it? I mean, another way to do it, I suppose, is simply not to eat. So to eat something before you leave, have a big meal and make it last. Um, and, and that, I suppose, is one way around it. But uh, if you have a very long time 
then that might not be practical. So, you know, I know it's only a stupid thing, uh, but I've never really entirely solved this problem to my satisfaction. Have you got any ideas? Now, I must admit that I, I don't watch Britain's Got Talent on TV, but it was very hard to ignore Jamie Raven's um, recent um, uh, appearances. And um, I thought it was um, hilarious looking at it from, from us as magicians, from our standpoint, um, how much impact he managed to get with Cartoon um, and how he apparently in inverted commas, um, converted Simon Cowell into actually believing that magic exists. Um, I thought Jamie performed really well and with a lot of confidence. And um, it was good to see somebody walking right up to the judges and, and basically doing close up, um, which was which was great because so, so many of my guests tend to go for illusions or or bigger stuff. But uh, he decided to go smaller and and, of course, had the uh, the appropriate impact. But it is funny, isn't it, that, that, that if you were thinking about entering a, a magic competition or a competition using magic in that way, cartoon would perhaps not be the first trick that you'd think of. And yet, done in the right way, with the amount and the right amount of presentation and build up, look how effective it was. It was absolutely brilliant and it got a tremendous reaction from the lay audience. So well done, Jamie. Right, well, that's it for another podcast. Um, thanks ever so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the various things that I've been talking about. And I will look forward to coming back here in July with another load of hopefully interesting topics to chat to you about. Have a good month. Bye for now.